electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Welcome to Overtime. I'm Scott Wapner. You just heard the bells. We are just getting started right here. In just a few minutes, we'll get a brand new stock pick from star value investor Scott Black. He's a member of the Barron's Roundtable and a new and scathing report about Kathy Wood and ARC Innovation. I've got it right here. The strategist who wrote it will join us live if you invest in those stocks You need to see this interview. Let's begin, though, with our talk of the tape, this directionless day, the first of the new quarter for your money. So what does that say about what lies ahead? Let's ask Mad Money's Jim Cramer, who joins us once again on this Friday. Jim, it's good to have you. Defensive, directionless. That's how this really feels. Real estate, staples, utilities, health care. What's the message? I always like to come on your show and bring something. I don't like to come empty-handed because that's what jokers do. I've been working the phones this afternoon about what's going on with the transports. And uh, rather astounding, but in the last four weeks, spot trucking rates have fallen as much as 35%. There was another big decline just this week. The drivers are back. There's too many drivers. There's more drivers now than there were before the pandemic. No one's talking about this. Some of the stocks are starting to react, but it's for real, Scott. It's gigantic. And the people involved in freight are stunned at the decline in trucking rates that we've had just in the last four weeks. How much of this also has to do with the inversion of the yield curve, Jim, the fact that we are now, if you want to say, on the clock with a recession? I'm looking at FedEx today down 4.3%. I pull up UPS right now. It has a decline of nearly 4%. Joe Terranova on halftime said he had sold Old Dominion. You could go all the way down the, the spectrum, Jim, the truckers, the rails, et cetera, et cetera, selling off big time today. I'm not buying it. I'm not buying it. It's a supply issue, meaning that the truckers are back. It finally happened. It tipped. We got equilibrium and more. And what I'm saying is there are so many companies that just matter of factly say, but freight, but freight, but freight. Now we separate the men and women from the boys and girls because we know that some people are going to be able to take advantage of this and others, once again, not know how to take advantage. This is why some of the consumer packaged goods companies are rallying well. This is why Walmart's rallying. You are getting an incredible decline that nobody is talking about in spot rates that is going to make it so there's tremendous margin expansion. So, yes, we can talk about the twos and the tens, and I even do that. I even succumb to that tonight on Mad Money as much as I don't want to. But... This is big news. And the spot rates fell this week. I mean, this week, this afternoon. You are, I mean, Jim, you you are starting to hear some commentary about, uh, is this as good as it gets? I'm talking PCs. I'm talking housing. I'm talking autos. What's your take? Okay. I think that, uh, that the housing stocks have signaled that it was as good as it gets a long time ago. And after we get to 6% mortgage rates, those stocks are going to go so low that everybody's finally going to downgrade them, and then you got to buy them. I think that the semiconductors are reflecting the fact that people aren't going to buy cell phones. But they are. They're just going to buy 5G. Now, the real issue is it's the second home in the hybrid environment. That home, Scott, has everything it's ever needed. 
It does not need, unless you're going to have two washers and dryers, which I find to be unusual, unless you're going to have two printers and four computers and want to do a TV show from your house because you don't want to come to the office, I think you probably have everything you need. What do I do then with the Home Depots? What do I do with the Microns? What do I do with the Fords? Micron, no. Micron is down. Just start buying Micron. I mean, did anyone even listen to my interview with Sanjay? Sanjay was saying 5G is great. Sanjay is saying they've got a lot of different things going in the high-performance computing. But Sanjay is saying that this, well, you know what? There are ollies. You can buy them at ollies. And I would toss this one if it didn't cost me a G. Now, what I really feel is happening, Scott, is that there's some areas where there's, well, I'm going to use a really fancy word, surfet. And there's other areas that are okay. But I do think that the whole um, second home hybrid, you know, they got everything they want. Omicron, not so bad. Maybe you want to come back to the office. Just as when everyone's given up on the office and has the second office, you're going to start getting some bosses who are, who are like me, which, who demand six days and a tie. What does is, what is any of this, Jim, uh, tell us about the market going into a new quarter. Okay, we had the first positive month of the year, and we just finished the worst quarter in, in yeah, two years. Let's be a little more positive. If we could get, uh, if Ukraine can win, which is really up to the United States and Germany, because obviously if Russia's taking 20% casualties, they'll have nobody left by year end. That's just, that's just algorithmic. Um, if, you, if Ukraine wins, okay, and we get uh, gas down, gasoline down, um, if we do get freight rates down, we can stop having all that, maybe problems at the ports. Uh, if China somehow realizes that they should use Pfizer and Moderna and not whatever the heck kind of vaccine they're doing, maybe it's hydroxychloroquine for all I know. And we finally would be in a situation where, where these costs would go down. Why am I going to complain? Because Chairman Jay is going to be done. Jay will be done by August. So I'm not, I'm not succumbing to the negativity of the twos and ten guy. No, I'm not. So, so you, but what is that? Do you think that what we witnessed to, you know, this comeback was a, a bear market rally or no? Or no? Because it's I mean, good. You, there's you, a lot of, look, I came in here, I bore, I was not a Trojan horse with this thing. I'm saying that if freight rates come down, which is what no one's talking about other than your show today, that is the most significant thing that's occurred. And forget that it might be a recession or not. And accept the fact that I got it from trucking companies because the drivers came back. Out of nowhere, drivers making 110, that's better than 66. But that, again, that's just arithmetic. I am telling you that if we look at the transports, they were a tax on the system. Trucking was a tax on the system. The, rate, the rates were a tax. If they come down, you're not going to hear Coca-Cola. Well, they got their own trucking thing. How about all the other consumer products? Procter. Procter today was downgraded, right? They caught a downgrade. How'd it do? That get hit? These stocks can do well, and it's not just because of the tens and twos. You know, when, so when I used to have tens and twos, you know what that was? That was a hand that you had to hit on because the dealer had a nine. <laughs> yeah, right. So when someone like Dan Niles comes on the network, Jim, and says, quote, you should be completely out of the pool. If you're a retail investor, you can't trade the market every single day. Sit on cash. That's the best thing. That's what he suggests to people, many of whom are watching. Well, with all due respect, which, of course, means I'm going to slam the heck out of him. I like Dan for many, many years. And I think Dan is right about a lot of stocks. But, you know, Dan's more of a tech guy. 
So, I mean, if you're coming in here and you're saying it is time to stop trading every tick of Procter & Gamble, I would say absolutely just go own Procter & Gamble. But there's a lot of stocks that are not in like the NASDAQ 100 that really are intriguing to me. And then there are other companies that have come down so much that they're intriguing to me. So you take, let's take an advanced micro. Could advanced micro go down more? Absolutely. Was it at 170 at one point? Definitely. Do I want to own the stock? Well, when the smoke clears, yes, because I don't want it, people to trade it. For the, for the club, I am, it's not like I've banned trading. I don't like trading. But when the market mm-hmm. gets real overbought, you can let some stuff go. But for the investing club, I kind of like pick some good companies and I want to own them for a very long time. You know, I've been in, taking in a the- lot of heat on Twitter about my love for NVIDIA. Well, you know, when you take heat for love for a stock that you bought at first at 25 and it goes to 270, I say, you know what? Bring on the butane. <laughs> in the few minutes that we have left with you, Jim, I want to bring two in minutes, Halftime's Bryn Talkington of, of Record. Yes, you, you're the one who has to go. What do we, oh, us. I have to do my show. Show, yes. Yeah, for that little thing called the show. The darn show. Adam, no, 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 you stay with me. Adam Parker's right, with right. me, too, of Trivariat. He's with me here at Post 9. It's great to have you, Bryn. Adam, it's man, nice I haven't seen you in ages. How you doing, partner? Good to see you, Jim. So yeah. what's your take on what Jim had to say? Well, with Jim, I just was curious. Do you think the semiconductors are over-earning right now? I mean, and how anticipatory do you think the stocks are going to be? Because I know a lot of my clients are trying to figure out when, you know, production will exceed, um, you know, consumption. Well, look, I think that's the question. I think that the over-earnings, that's the grab is going to do pull forward. I like your over-earning. Uh, you know, Sanjay Marotra came once uh, squawking in the street this week and told a not-so-great story that he thought was a pretty good story, and then Micron loses 10 points quickly. Uh, I, I know that Qualcomm just lost 40 points. Qualcomm it sells at a very low multiple. It's got a dividend, monster buyback, and it's got a lot of things in the works to make it so it's not just uh, a not just sell. I think what you have to have is a transformational in, transformation inside the company not just be a hostage. So you take Qualcomm, they're converting, they'll be around 25 auto. I like that. When you take a look at Micron, they have to talk more high-performance computing and 5G. He did not do that, Sanjay Marotra. Uh, Advanced Micro bought the Xilinx. We want to see what Xilinx looks like. But Micron at 70 is different from Micron at 86, Adam. It really is. And And Qualcomm at 135 is different from 185. So I'm sensitive to price, Adam, as I know you always have been. And I like that about you. He likes Dell, says my notes, Jim. Do you? Okay, I just so, wow. Okay, if you had a long, short portfolio, Dell is obviously the best one to be in. I think Dell has been hit and hit and hit, probably four down, ten up. Uh, I would do Dell versus HP. Dell long, Mm. HP short. Yeah. Yeah? Okay. You're with me? Let's bring... Let's bring Bryn in uh, as well. I'm wondering, Bryn, what you make of, of sort of this defensive feel and somewhat directionless, right? We had a nice little move towards the end of the session here to finish higher by, you know, 139 on the Dow. But for the most part, this day was directionless, and it certainly had a defensive tone. Right. I mean, for the, for the quarter, from a sector perspective, unless you owned energy and utilities, you made no money. I mean, energy was up 40%. And maybe energy is a little overbought, but it's still very under-owned. And so I do think the mar- market's directionless. And, and I do have a question for Jim, because where, where one part I would, I would slightly disagree is that Jay Powell being done in August, you know, to me, I can get through raising rates 10 times off a base of zero, but draining liquidity 
at a nine billion at nine trillion dollar top and then draining that liquidity is incredibly hard for markets to meaningfully make new highs when the Fed is constantly taking that liquidity out of the market. So so for that reason, I mean, I think if we ended the year flat on the S&P and flat on the Nasdaq, I think there's so many ifs in this market. I think that would be a wonderful return this year because we've really over-earned the last one year three-year, five-year, and 10 years. And I just think that draining of liquidity is such a negative and such a headwind to markets. And I would love to get you know, Jim's thoughts on that. Well, I, look, I think draining of liquidity is one thing uh, that the professionals know about. I think Jay Powell actually does know about it too and will do what he can to make it so it's not on autopilot. Even if people think it's on autopilot, he won't do that. He learned his lesson. But to individuals who I think are coming back to the market, I know some people feel they've left, but I see them coming back pretty viciously. They're buying franchises. And you, know, you buy the franchise of Microsoft and you buy the franchise of Apple and you buy the franchise of Procter or the franchise of PepsiCo or American Express. I don't think draining of equity and owning those stocks are uh, necessarily, uh, let's just say, uh, unjustified. You can make a case that those are not mutually exclusive, and that's what I'm doing. You take a stock right underneath us right now, Meta Platforms. I think that Meta is going to have a really good second half. And I don't mm-hmm. want to say, but you know what? I am very worried about M2, or I'm very worried about what the, what the Fed owns. And the reason I want to do that is because we have such great companies in this country, they can blow through. Uh, what you think they can do. Advanced Micro, I know it's had a very hard time. If that stock got to 90, it's going to be selling at 17 times earnings. How do, and uh, it loses Sue's buying a whole lot back. I do not want the Fed to keep me from taking advantage of a great American franchise. So I think we're not at cross purposes. I do worry about the overall market. Uh, by the way, I do like energy. I think it's still not enough of the S and uh, part of the S and P. But I'm just against the, like a franchise like an Eli Lilly, which I think has an unbelievable opportunity both in diabetes and with Alzheimer's. I cannot allow anyone in our investing club to sell Eli Lilly because of the tens and the twos. Yeah. Hey, Jim, uh, you're the best. Thank you for hanging That's out with it? us. Yeah, that's it. I you got to do what you got to do. But you didn't you, ask me. Well, you you got to do what you got to do. GameStop and all my friends in GameStop, the yeah. Philadelphia Zoo, the whole thing's there. I, I followed you on Twitter all day. I've seen your thoughts well, there. Well, I like to we beat the heck out of the bad people. You know that. I know. You and I we'll know what it's, it's like to be on a winning team and have to deal with these losers. We will catch you tonight on Mad Money. You Going got the CEOs of Broadridge and Blue Owl. 6 p.m. Eastern. Don't miss that. Don't forget, you can have Kramer delivered right to your inbox with the CNBC Investing Club. You can sign up now at cnbc.com slash join the club or use the QR code on your screen. Let's pick up uh, AP on something Jim said, energy. Uh, There are some suggestions from some people that energy's run its course, that now's the time to transition from value like energy back to growth. What do you think? Well, as you know, for the last year, I've loved energy. It's been my favorite sector. Uh, I still think it's going to go way higher. I'm buying every dip. Now, if we get some ceasefire, obviously, we're going to get uh, oil down 10 bucks in a reaction. The stock's down 15. But we're structurally short. Demand growth is going to exceed supply growth. The stocks are cheap versus their own history. They have upward revisions. They have positive price momentum and sentiments negative. It's a golden triangle or quadrangle of awesomeness. So I, I'm bullish on energy for two, three years, and I'm a dip buyer every time. Really? So yes. even, even though you're, you're positive on energy itself, you can be positive on energy equities energy for equities. two to three years I think further. So. I think that's right. I think that's right. I mean, you remember last 
last summer we were talking and some people on the program said, ah, no, it's run its course, terminal value zero. I mean, we're short oil, demand strong. So I, I, I think uh, energy and metals like aluminum and copper are in a bull market that will last several years. Wow. Uh, I mean, I think I know where Bryn stands. I mean, it's almost like sacrilege just down in Houston. Uh, to say she's negative energy. And I know that energy has been a big part of your portfolio, but, but what about this sort of, it's RBC's Lori Calvacina, right? It, it's her view today. She was on the closing bell before us. And it's this idea that time to move from value to growth. Again, what do you think? No, I think that the easy money and energy has been made. And I'll say easy only because in, in retrospect, it looked easy, but it was hard a year, year and a half ago when I was talking about buying energy, I think that you can dip your toes. Like I own the Qs, I own a ton of growth. So, so it's, I don't think it's an either or, but I do think though that energy has a secular tailwind and to all of Adam's points. So I would be really, really skeptical of selling energy whose technicals and fundamentals look great versus buying growth who fundamentals look great, but the technicals don't look good. You like housing exposure? Well, look, really? I, I you've seen what's happened to those yeah, stocks. Yeah, I, I haven't. You know, I don't. I've been recommending any of the home builders. I, I wouldn't buy them here. It was really an idiosyncratic thought about Zillow. Just one of those that's getting a lot of traffic. Stocks down a ton. They exited something. So I thought Zillow was kind of interesting. But look, if I'm if it, going back to your growth value question, when you look at growth stock sell-offs and the kind of things that work afterward, they're different than what worked prior. It's not the profitless software basket that led in 2020 into February 21. I think it's got to have margin expansion, positive free cash flow. And it's got to have pricing power. Kramer alluded to it. There are a lot of businesses that have pricing power that I think can make numbers. So to me, the big investment debate now, what I talk about with clients all day is which companies can have gross margin expansion over the next six months that can handle the inflation that we're talking about. I think they're the winners. And some of them are growth. I appreciate, I appreciate you coming to Post 9. Great to see you. That's Adam Parker here with us. And, of course, Bryn Talkington joining us as well. I'll see you both again soon. Good weekend to you both. Uh, let's get to our Twitter question of the day. We're asking, which Dow stock will have the best returns in Q2? Is it Chevron? Is it Apple? Disney? Maybe Home Depot? Head to CNBC Overtime and cast your vote. We're going to bring you the results at the end of the show. Up next, value investor Scott Black. He'll join us with his top idea for your portfolio right now, why he is making a big bet on one global manufacturer. And later, as I mentioned at the top of the show, Morningstar's big takedown of star fund manager Kathy Wood. They've downgraded the ARK ETF. It's a scathing report you have to hear about. We'll talk to the analysts behind it when overtime returns. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. 
We're back in the OT. He's long been considered one of America's best value investors. And today he's come to overtime with a new stock pick. Scott Black is the founder and president of Delphi Management, also a member of the Barron's Roundtable. Welcome to our new program. It's nice to see you. Well, it's nice of you to invite me. Thank you. Yeah, I want to do what you do best, and that's pick stocks. And you have a new one for us, as I've been teasing, and it's Jabel. J-B-L. Can you tell me why? Sure. It's probably the, it's the largest of the contract manufacturers in the United States, and it's one of the biggest worldwide. In other words, they build things for semiconductor capital companies, for Apple, et cetera. The stock went out today at $61.80. They'll earn $7.25 for the August year, but if you put it on a calendar basis, it's around $7.40, which is an 8.4 multiple, which is ridiculous when you consider the market multiple is 20.1. The return on equity on prospective earnings is 45%. The return on total capital is 26%. And the company has already made promises about this year that they'll do about $32.6 billion in revenue, $7.25 in non-GAAP, 4.6% non-gap operating ratio, make margins, and $700 million in free cash flow. And the company really is very, very good. If you compare it to a San Miner or the old Flextronics, they're a stronger franchise. They book more revenues. They have diversified manufacturing. They're all over. They're in China, Malaysia, Singapore, Hungary, United States of America, Mexico. They have roughly 225,000 employees, and they've managed very well around supply chain shortages. So this is a very decent company. They've had seven straight up quarters, both in earnings and in revenue. We have the revenues this year up about 12%, and the earnings will be roughly on the August fiscal, 725 against 561, which is up 29%. And we see a follow-on in the coming year, probably 5 to 7% more. And it's an investment-grade credit. They have a nice balance sheet. It's triple B minus. And they generate a lot of free cash. Um, last okay. year, they generated $640 million, And this year, as I said, it'll be over $700 million. So it's a pretty cheap stock for a good company in an 8-4 multiple. Let me ask you about a stock that's certainly gotten cheaper recently. And I'm curious as to whether you still own it or not. And that's MU, Micron. That's still in your portfolio? Yes, we do own it. And they actually had a very good quarter, and the stock popped right after the, uh, the, the announcement, and then it pulled down. But, you know, they're on leading edge of DRAM. Pricing is good. And then also on flash memory, you know, all the areas that you want to be in, like storage, cyber, um, cloud, you know, they fit the bill. They're a U.S. manufacturer. They're efficient. I heard that, you know, they lost some business with Apple. But the company is statistically cheap, even in the, you know, the low 80s, and they're supposed to earn over $10. I'd have to revise the number to see what the percentage of Apple's loss means to their earnings per share. But they've mm -hmm. done a very good job, and they know there is a leading-edge DRAM player. So it, it's a good quality company. And the other thing is, as we go away from globalization, it's important that we know how to make uh, transistors in the United States again. And so... They and Intel really, you know, they dominate flash memory and they're really the number one producer of DRAM in the United States. And you need that for national security. You picked Mosaic back in, in January for the roundtable. Uh, ag stocks have obviously gone crazy and for obvious reasons, given what's happening in, in, in Ukraine. You stay with that name? Is it still part of your Absolutely. portfolio? Absolutely. 
Yes, because when I forecasted originally, and I did my, I do my own numbers, we had fourteen point nine billion in revenue and six ninety in earnings per share, and now the estimates are north of eighteen billion in revenue and eleven dollars a share. So it's sixty five eighty seven based on eleven dollars. You got a six PE. The company generates nothing but cash. Again, it's an investment grade credit. And if I looked at the prices that I assumed for phosphates and potash and for Brazil. At the beginning of the year, all the prices are up over $200 a ton in their latest flash report. They give you January, February numbers. For example, phosphates, they're now getting $874 a ton. Potash, $576. And the Brazil is $778. So, yeah, it's not based on volume. It's based definitely on price. Now, the other thing that's important is that Belarus was the number three producer in the world of mm -hmm. potash. And that represented about 17% of the worldwide production. Hit to four, even before the war, they have to ship by rail to Lithuania to get it to a port. Well, Lithuania is part of NATO and Belarus is aligned with Mr. Putin. Ergo, with the exception of what they're selling now to Russia, which is a small amount, they have, you know, it, this has been withdrawn off the market. And so obviously, you know, demand. And a decreasing supply equals increased price. Then the other thing you have to look at is India. For a long time, India was dependent on China to get uh -huh. some of its fertilizer. But they just passed a bill to spend $40 billion on fertilizer in India. And if you look at the long-term growth in China, which I did from 2022 to 2027, the I'm growth sure and consumption did. of fertilizer in China is going to grow at about 5.5% compounded over the next five years. So you have okay. the wind to your back. And Mosaic is the largest producer of fertilizer in the United States. Solid balance sheet, investment grade credit, 6 PE. I don't think it's over yet for fertilizer. And we all know the farmers are actually doing very well in the United States. Yep. They had a second, a record, sort of a second record year last year, and it looks like a good continuation. So although Mosaic's right. had a big move, I still think it's a solid company. Okay, yeah, it's up 60-something percent in the last three months. It's great to see you. Scott, you take care of yourself. We'll see you back soon. That's Scott Black of Delphi Management joining us here in overtime. Up next, Seabreeze Partners, Doug Cass, says shorting stocks could be the best strategy for your money right now. He'll tell us the key names on his radar, why he thinks that. Plus, that scathing new report on star fund manager Kathy Wood. Morningstar taking aim in a big way. We've got the man behind that report when overtime returns. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that, that's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Unlock the energy of the all-electric ZDX Type S. Order now at Acura.com. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at 3 a.m. The office was shocked. <laughs> That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. <laughs> I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back to Overtime. It's time for a CNBC News update with Shepard Smith. Hey, Shep. Hey, Scott. From the news on CNBC, here's what's happening. A top Ukrainian security official 
is now denying that Ukraine is responsible for this explosion at a fuel depot on the Russian side of the border this morning. Russia's defense ministry claimed that two Ukrainian helicopters fired missiles at the fuel storage facility. If true, it would mark the first successful Ukrainian airstrike on Russian soil since the invasion began. COVID is far more likely to lead to heart problems in teenage boys and young men than the vaccine is. That today from the CDC after the first study that directly compared the odds of developing myocarditis following an infection and following a vaccination. And the U.S. men's national soccer team headed to the World Cup for the first time in eight years. The team qualified last night and will be competing in Group B against England, Iran, and then one of three, potentially Ukraine if they qualify. The world's biggest tournament set to kick off in Qatar in November. Tonight, the mystery of Chernobyl and why Russian forces fought to control that radioactive site, then abandon it on the news. Right after Jim Cramer, 7 Eastern, CNBC. Scott, back to you. All right, good stuff. Thanks, Shep. We'll see you later tonight. Well, the new quarter could be a turbulent one, according to our next guest, Doug Cass, the founder and president of Seabreeze Partners. It's good to see you. Welcome to Overtime. Great to be back with you, Judge. Love is you know, in the you air. Have, you have a doozy <laughs> of a headline. Why shorting stocks or upping your cash position may be the best market strategy right now. Why so negative, Doug? Well, uh, in my investment career, um, which has spanned a couple of decades, Judge, I've never seen a wider range of possible market and economic outcomes than exist today. And many of those outcomes are market unfriendly. Yet most investors still seem to view the market as they have in the past, as a series of probability with the greatest probability surrounding a mean or baseline expectation. The tails are not seen as having very high probabilities of occurrence, and I strongly disagree. I see the tails having a much higher probability than any time uh, in my years of investing and trading. And I think we should learn from Ukraine. We should learn from COVID. Uh-huh. Well, how much, how much of all of that is motivated by the Fed and this uh, road of interest rate hikes, which is, is going to be rocky? It's really not motivated by the Fed uh, to a major degree. Um, I think most importantly, the world has grown flat, interconnected, networked. And in a game of dominoes, a lot of bad stuff can and will happen. The world has grown far more unsafe, as we've recently learned. Uh, citizens and investors are a lot less safe than they and the markets presume. We have hotbeds of fomenting of conflicts on multiple con continents. There's less cooperation between countries. There's very little cooperation in our country between two partisan parties. It's hard for me to see the U.S. as an oasis of prosperity when the other large superpowers like China are foundering. We have a sure, mountain but, of but, debt. I'm sorry. But, but, don't, yeah. don't, but don't you, you know, the, the great thing about uh, our, our system is that uh, our companies have an incredibly unique ability to manage themselves through many different periods of pain and crises I, and all of these potential and why can't they do that I, again? I, I would say normally I agree with you, but we have a bunch of pivots that we haven't had in the past, Judge. We have a mountain of death, uh, debt both in the private and public sectors at a time when the Fed is aggressively pivoting towards tightening. That hasn't happened in a long period of time. 
Uh, people argue about whether the you talked about the Fed, whether the Fed would make a mistake by tightening too hard. They already made a mistake of not tightening enough. The Fed and Powell are literally clueless, in my view. Uh, and based does, upon does that my tell you, go ahead. Does that tell you you think you think we're going to go back and, and retest or go through the, the lows? Is, is that where this all leads? Yeah, I think that, you know, it, it, I think March was a very, very interesting month. It was it was like a Charles Dickens tale of two cities, profound weakness in the first half, euphoria in the second half. It's like the old quiz show to tell the truth with the real market a bull market or a bear market rally, please stand up. And my view is that we're in a bear market. We had a bear market rally in that the early January top was a broad, distributive and very important top. As I said, there's all these pivots going on that we're not paying attention to. Another pivot is globalization, the practice and the ideology. It's dead. And with, with that, death and other factors, U.S. corporate profit margins have likely peaked. And uh, finally, there's a non-trivial risk of another pivot, and that's been brewing for more than a decade. And you and I have discussed it offline. Offline, it's the change in market structure in which algos and machines, who generally worship at the altar of price momentum, have replaced active investing, and it's leading to heightened volatility. This new regime wow. of heightened volatility and market uncertainties, in which fundamentals become irrelevant. That's that. That's your old pal Lee Cooperman rubbing off on you. I, I know those. I, I know those that, words. I gave from, that line to and from where they come. <laughs> I gave that line to Lee, and he'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so I, Let I, me I ask don't you think, this. I'm sorry, Ken. No, I, I'm going to. You know, I want to look at some of the stocks that you're specifically um, negative on, um, and there's some of the kinds of stocks that we talk about all the time within the art sure. complex and these high growth, high valuation stocks like a Roku or a Robinhood. Why have you zeroed in on on those? Uh, Roku, as evidenced by the recent quarterly report, Roku is facing uh, decelerating growth. The guidance was for plus 25% sales growth compared to a stark 60% growth. The streaming hours in the U.S. were flat in the last quarter as investors are beginning to realize that the company's addressable market and share opportunities are more limited than expected. Uh, equally surprising to many and to, uh, to many longs, that is, is that expenses and costs uh, to drive the current decelerating growth and defend market share way higher than previously thought. Um, management guided to uh, very disappointing revenue growth. It's my continued mm -hmm. view that Roku, which, as you know, aggregates and creates a gateway for streaming platforms, will go the way of a dinosaur, the Tyrannosaurus Rex, becoming a very extinct species subject to a shifting competitive landscape that could result ultimately not being in the mix. Because you have the start smart TV competitors like Amazon, Alphabet, Vizio, Samsung, et cetera, are invading Roku's market by delivering their own operating systems. So, so uh, look, and a lot of people, you know, have had issues, have had issues uh, with Robinhood, and the stock is down in quite a bit. So I don't think we need to pile on, no, on that one an uh, anymore. But, but let me ask you this: um, even though you have a broadly negative view, which you've articulated well. What do you like in the market? Surely there's got to be something, a part of this market that you like, that you're long, something new that you have. What is it? Sure. Something new that I'm buying, which you're going to be shocked about because home builders have been among the worst performing stocks extant. I'm buying Green, Green Brick Partners, which is controlled by David Einhorn's Greenlight uh, Management Fund. Um, I think it's precisely the time to buy a home builder when things look bad, when interest rates are going up. 
Um, it has a, a marvelous franchise. I own, um, I've been lugging cannabis stocks for several months. This is more of a three or four or five year play. The stocks are ridiculously inexpensive relative to the longer term prospects. Today, the Moore Act, which decriminalizes um, uh, cannabis, excuse me, um, was passed by the House. It's going to the Senate shortly. And I think we're going to get safe banking sometime in 2022, 2023. The stocks are okay. trading at ludicrously low multiples to EBITDA. That, that, was, that, by the way, was probably Cooperman telling you that that was actually his line. So that's probably <laughs> who was calling you on the phone there. Hey, Doug, I appreciate it so much. You take care, and we'll see you again on Overtime sometime soon. Thanks for having me. All right. That's Doug Cass of Seabreeze Partners joining us. Up next, the big takedown of star fund manager Kathy Wood from Morningstar of all firms. The analyst behind this new report joins us next. Back now in the OT, Morningstar out with a scathing takedown today of star fund manager Kathy Wood. The firm downgrading the ARK ETF to a negative rating, taking issue with ARK's risk management, portfolio concentration, succession plan, and even Kathy Wood herself. Robbie Greengold is the man behind the call. He joins us now live. Robbie, welcome. It's good to have you on. Thanks so much. Why this now? Last year was our inaugural report on ARC Innovation, the flagship strategy at, uh, at ARC. And we, in that inaugural report, we, can, we, we flagged some of these substandard risk management practices at the firm. And so we had a dim view of the process uh, about 12 months ago. And so we, we've talked a little bit about that over the past year. Uh, we, we've had a few reports out and it, it, it's become clear at this point that the firm really has little inclination to improve those risk management practices, uh, that the portfolio has become even more risky as Kathy Wood has slashed the number of names from around 60 to around 35 more recently. And just as a, as a steward, uh, ARC Investment Management, really, it, it's it, it, it's it's bearing its its investors with unnecessary risks in, in terms of the key person risk in, in Kathy Wood herself. She is the loan portfolio manager at the firm, and there's there's a, a poor succession plan in place in the event that she was no longer available. So let me ask you this. Um, plenty of managers run um, concentrated portfolios. So why is it such a negative that she's taken down the number of stocks uh, in her portfolio? I would almost think that you could make a counter argument and saying that less is more. Why isn't it? Well, in this case, if we look at the past couple of years, ARC has, I, th I think the ARC has quadrupled its aggregate assets under management at the firm. And all of these strategies, the, the actively managed exchange traded funds that the, that the firm runs, they are making shared bets on the same stocks. So ARC Innovation, if you look at the portfolio today, with fewer names in the portfolio, the uh, the exposure has become greater to the stocks in which Arc Investment Management is a big shareholder. If you if you look at names like Teladoc or Beam Therapeutics, Intellia Therapeutics, these are names in which Arc owns I, I think more than 10% of the outstanding shares, and this exposure has grown as Kathy Wood has 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 cut the name count. So, so the exposures here are really unlike what you'll find in many other, uh, many other portfolios. I, 
And I have and to the tell you, stand out uh, against peers. There's one line here that, that truly stands out to me, and uh, maybe more than anything else. Uh, Wood, you write, quote, Wood's reliance on her instincts to construct a portfolio is a liability. What great investor doesn't rely somewhat on their instincts in the way that they run their fund? And don't you want that in an investor? I think there's absolutely something to be said about uh, a, a portfolio manager's experience really kind of lending itself to instinctive uh, reactions, buying, buying, buying or selling on a day-to-day basis or over the course of years. I think there's absolutely something to be said about that. But in this case, the difference with this portfolio is that it is intentionally benchmark agnostic. Kathy Wood is proud of the, the degree to which she wants to be active in this portfolio and get as far away from the benchmarks as she can. Uh, that's a key selling point for her. Uh, the portfolio managers that do uh, that, that do pay attention to benchmarks, they can then pay less attention to the risk management. With ARC, it, 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 it's admirable for them to be taking a truly active approach, but they're not also complementing that with a, a, some balance in terms of a risk management program in place or risk management personnel. ARC has invested heavily in its marketing capabilities, but, but nothing, as far as I can tell, in its risk management. Let me ask you this finally. Um, you say that ARC has in place a poor succession plan for the 66-year-old uh, Wood. Um, it's interesting to me that you mention uh, her age and, and why you think at this particular time it's important for her to have a succession plan in place. When you just look at other investors who are out there and still incredibly active, um, and I frankly, I don't know what Paul Singer's succession plan is, and he's 77. And Carl Icahn has spent the better part of the last handful of years trying to figure it out in his own right. And he's 86. And Warren Buffett's 91. And even Jamie Dimon, who runs J.P. Morgan, um, is, is 66. Um, why was it necessary to, to, to mention her age now at 66 and assume that she had to have a succession plan in place now? And the fact that she didn't was a liability. We see portfolio managers at, at stellar firms often retiring in their early 60s. Kathy Wood may have a, another good 30 years left, and that would be really great for, for fund holders uh, if that's what they're really looking for in, in the portfolio manager. A lot of investors invest with ARC because of Kathy Wood. That is why they, uh, th that's what they find appealing about, about the firm, about the strategies, she is what's appealing to them. And it, it's crucial that any manager who's going to invest in a fund for the long run to keep in mind whether or not there's going to be longevity in that portfolio manager uh, or, or the team backing the portfolio manager. And it, it, it's crucial for, for any investor in any portfolio to just be mindful of whether the, the, there's going to be continu continuity in that process going know, over the course of a decade or more. Mm -hmm. Robbie, I appreciate your time very much. That's Robbie Greengold joining us today uh, from Morningstar. Up next, Santoli's last word, why he's focused on what's not working in this market, what it could say about the future. Overtime's back after this. We're back in overtime. Wall Street kicking off the new quarter with modest gains. The Dow, S&P, and NASDAQ all finishing the day 
in the green. Late day finish at that, too. For the week, the S&P and NASDAQ managing to post with gains, the Dow finishing the week in the red. Among today's biggest winners, Newmont, Dexcom, and Illumina, while names like J.B. Hunt, Norfolk Southern, and C.H. Robinson were among the biggest losers on the day. Up next, it is Santoli's last word. All right, let's get now to Mike Santoli for his last word on this Friday, and it is Michael. And we're just sort of asking, uh, you know, what's the condition of the typical cyclical bellwethers in this market right now? Pretty conspicuous weakness in things like obviously home builders, but then semis had a down leg today, the transports as well. Banks have not really been able to perform at all with this yield move higher. Uh, so I do think it asks the question, you have to ask the question of, is the market a little bit hamstrung if these groups uh, don't uh, gather themselves and are able to lead down the road? It's a little bit like you know, a, a football team where the defense has to score points in order for them to win. You do have energy and commodity-related stocks. Health healthcare has been doing well. Utilities making new highs. A lot of that stuff has to go right for the overall market to stay together. The other possibility, and I'm very much open to this, is this idea that the defensive groups are kind of allowing the the offense to rest and reset, and then you might actually be able to have, have another counter rotation and who knows if that involves tech but this is the what we're kind of dealing with as we get into the second quarter and the market itself is at a, a decent spot but it feels a little bit delicate yeah, that's an interesting perspective appreciate it have a good weekend we'll see you next week yep that's you mike santoli joining us up next three big bets against the consumer need to hear those names next To the results of today's Twitter poll, the majority of you saying Apple will be the best performing Dow stock in Q2. Chevron was number two. It was number one in Q1 out of the Dow. So it's an interesting bet on energy there, technology to Disney and HD uh, in third and fourth. All right, let's round out the arrow with some top plays for your portfolio. With us now, Barbara Ann Bernard, the CEO of Wincrest Capital. You really are betting against the consumer with number one beyond meat. Why? Well, we just think 2021 was peak retail sales in the U.S. Um, sales were up 17.2% in the U.S. That's the best year ever. And of course, a lot of that was due to stimulus checks, which are not recurring. In addition, this year, we have very high inflation. So the same basket is costing the average U.S. household $5,200 more this year. And add to that rising rates. And we just see um, discretionary consumer consumption being squeezed. Um, so you look at something like Beyond Meat, and it's a really unappetizing combination of slowing growth and high valuations. Um, you know, at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone was eating at home and that stock did very well. Um, when you go out, it's not doing as well in restaurants as it was. Right now, there's a pilot in 600 McDonald's for their McPlant sandwich. And uh, this is in the San Francisco Bay Area and in Texas. And in right. San Francisco, they're selling about 20 a right. day. In Texas, it's more like three to five. So that uh, is, does not bode well for a national okay. rollout. Okay. Um, and Carmax sorry. and uh, and Weber, the others, I for, forgive me for uh, for cutting you off, but we got to go. Have a good weekend, Barbara. We'll see you soon. That does it for us. Did you hear that? That's what an estimated 500 horsepower sounds like. How about that? That's a premium banging Olufsen sound system with 18 speakers and a Biosonic sound experience. And that. That's our legacy. You ready to be a part of it? Let's go, give it to you. Unlock the energy of the all-electric CDX Type S. Give up. Order now at Acura.com.